Hello and welcome to the commentary for lesson 363, Isaiah chapter 17. It is curious that we've skipped um, some books from Isaiah or some chapters from Isaiah. It did go in chronological order from chapters 11 to 12 and now to 17. Um, I'm not going to try to figure out where those other chapters went, but I do know that we'll get to it at some point. So, um, but here we're studying a message about Damascus and Israel and God gave a message through Isaiah about Damascus and how it will disappear. It will become a heap of ruins. Um, it says the town verse two says the town of Aurora, Aurora will be deserted. Flocks will graze in the streets and lie down undisturbed with no one to chase them away. I like how it gives you that visual picture so you can see just what it means by deserted. You can visualize it. The fortified towns of Israel will also be destroyed and the royal power of Damascus will end. So the towns of Israel are fortified. That means they have big walls around them. They're built with strength. The people of Israel at this time had built themselves quite a kingdom. And they were getting a little full of themselves. And as we see so often in scripture, God, they, they've gotten their eye off the ball. They've forgotten who the creator is. They've forgotten who they worship, who they were created to worship, who they need to give the glory to. And so because they've forgotten God, he will have to punish them. Verse 4 says, In that day, Israel's glory will grow dim. Verse 5 says it will be desolate. See, God will use the other nations to destroy Israel. But he will leave a remnant. He always promises that he will leave a remnant. There will be some of his people left. And those people that are left, verse 7 says, Then at last the people will look to their creator. They will no longer look to their idols for help or worship what their own hands have made. They will never again bow down to their Asherah poles or worship at the pagan shrines they have built. See, not only have they forgotten about God, but they've created images to worship um, in the form of Asherah poles. Now, if we remember, we learned about Asherah poles back in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 3 and 1621. Um, but Asherah poles were images of, I'm getting this from my study Bible, images from of Asherah, a Canaanite goddess who was the female consort, which means companion or wife of Baal, which is a false god. Okay. Um, Baal is mentioned a few times in the Old Testament and that's idol worship, right? The, the number one commandment is thou shalt put no gods before me. And here that's, they're screwing up the number one rule. So yes, God needs to punish them for this, uh, for this sin. Queen Jezebel, you remember the, the woman behind Ahaz, King Ahaz, and she was evil and led, uh, King Ahaz to idolatry and sin, she's the one that brought the worship of Asherah into the northern kingdom. And this was a cult which encouraged immoral sexual practices, and a lot of the people were attracted to this. Um, the Bible warns against worshiping Asherah poles in Deuteronomy 12, verse 3 and 1621. And 
Manasseh was condemned for putting up an Asherah pole in the temple. That's in 2 Kings 21.7, if you want to look that up. So we don't deal with Asherah poles today, but we do have other idols in our life. And certainly because Asherah poles symbolized, I mean, part of that cult culture was sexual immorality, I would say that very much so today, even though we don't have Asherah poles, we do have the idolatry of sexual immorality. Um, Pornography has become an addiction for many people, men and women. Media and entertainment industries feed off of society's obsession with sex. I'm getting this from my study Bible. The runaway desire for stimulation and gratification often comes from inadequate perspectives on love and happiness. God offers us the template. He tells us in his word how to have real joy and lasting love. When we stay in his word and we we formulate our marriage and our relationships based on his word, the example that Jesus has for us, that's how we get lasting love. That's how we get real joy. Everything else is idolatry. Everything else is false. Everything else is sin. So we do have to be on the alert of how sexual images that we see, we, we let it creep in because it's in our shows. It's when we turn on our computers, we see it um, everywhere. Um, depending on your feed, you know, I think it's interesting how people get what they're interested in on their Yahoo page, on their Facebook page, whatever they're into, whatever they search for, and whoever they're friends with sort of becomes their normal daily feed. And you get in this sort of alter universe where you start to think that everyone thinks like you and everyone has the same information you have, but it's not. It's all very personally tailored to each person. Um, The algorithms that um, are behind the scenes perfectly tailor the material, the content that comes before you. So um, we have to be careful about those images. If there are sexual images coming up, then we know that that's because of the history that we've searched or it's because of the people that we are friends with and maybe we need to do some soul searching and make some changes to um, our habits because those things shouldn't be coming up. Let's be, let's be honest, right? Then we come down to verse 10. It says, why is all this going to happen? So the first verses, one through nine, talk about all the destruction that's coming to Damascus and to the towns of Israel. And then now we have God giving us an explanation through Isaiah. It says, because you have turned from the God who can save you. And then it goes on to talk about um, you can plant the finest grapevines and import the most expensive seedlings. And it might look good for a while. You might get sprouts. It may blossom right away. But don't be fooled by that temporary gain. Don't be fooled by what seems to be going well. Verse 11 says, but you will never pick any grapes from them. Your only harvest will be a load of grief and unrelieved pain. So don't be fooled by that temporary gain. God has marked them for destruction because of their sin. There will be a remnant that's left. But even though it may not seem like it, see, it's all God's timing. 
and God's purpose. And if he promises something's going to happen, you can bet it's going to happen, regardless of if it seems like it's happening or not. Um, and then verses 12 through 14, listen, the armies of many nations roar like roaring of the sea. Hear the thunder of the mighty forces as they rush forward like thundering waves. So God will use other nations to punish Israel, but then he will turn around and destroy Israel's enemy. See, this is a reminder that he can motivate people to do things to carry out his grander scheme, even people that are not his special people. That's what I find interesting in scripture, and that's what we've seen time and time again, that God can compel people, even the enemy, to do his bidding, to give the punishment to Israel. But they don't go off script. God has ultimate control of that destruction, and he will stop them and destroy them. Verse 14 closes this chapter. It says, this is just, this is the just reward of those who plunder us, a fitting end for those who destroy us. So yeah, God is going to punish his people. This is a pretty straightforward passage. It doesn't require a lot of talking from me. He's going to punish his people so that, back to verse 7, at last the people will look to their creator. They have turned from God. He needs to get them back on track. And they've decided to take matters into their own hands and do all kinds of detestable things. They're worshiping false idols, the Asherah poles. They're having sexual immorality. Um, and God needs to shake them up, get them back on track. So that's certainly what's happening here. That's what's ha happening throughout the book of Isaiah. So that's really it um, for that lesson. I do want to say a couple things about um, the boys and I went to help. You know, we've had all these hurricanes going on. We had um, Hurricane Florence and then we had Hurricane Michael. And my husband, Ryan, has been working so many hours because he works for a wireless phone company. And so that's a big part of his job is just maintaining the network and make sure it runs properly. And so when the storms come, he has a lot of work on his hands uh, managing that so that um, people can get their service restored. He takes that very seriously, and I'm very proud of the work that he does. But it's been a little stressful um, for him and for our household. But um, I will say that my boys had a long break from school. They had a four-day weekend, and I decided that instead of them sitting around the house staring at their phones because I didn't have any big major plans – I thought I would take them down to um, somewhere where Hurricane Florence had damaged and to help out with recovery efforts, just to do some volunteer work. So we did that. Um, we went through Baptists on Mission, which I highly recommend, and I'm going to give you that information, that contact information, in case um, you are so inclined to get a group together. They could really use some help. And... Um, where we went was Elizabethtown, North Carolina, and actually once we got there, we stayed overnight in a church there, in a Baptist church, and we talked to Kinsey, is the boss man in charge, the Baptist on mission, and he is also a pastor 
Of course, he does not get paid for being the big boss man for the Baptists on mission. Um, he does that all voluntarily. And just a really neat guy, fun to work with him. The first day, we were, to my surprise, and it was a little embarrassing really because we were the only volunteers that first day. Um, now, that was contrary to what I thought it would be like because I really thought that I mean, I contemplated going down there in the first place because I thought, oh, they have so many volunteers. They have so much help. What am I going to do? I'm going to go down there and I'm probably just going to get in the way because I have zero skills. Um, but, you know, they need every able body down there. And there's so much. <sighs> Florence destroyed so much. Um, so the boys and I, on the first day, we went underneath houses and he taught us how to use, uh, Kinsey taught us how to use the foggers and and we used a chemical in the foggers to um, penetrate in crawl spaces and in attics to help combat the mold that is now growing in people's houses so the floodwaters apparently where we were at it was outside actually outside elizabethtown it's kind of funny that elizabethtown is the big city because it's elizabethtown itself is a dinky little town but we were even beyond you know, on the outskirts of that town. So really country and clearly not a metropolitan area. I mean, this is, this is a very poor area, but the people, um, you know, they're hardy and they, they've been through a lot. And so, um, they're struggling to get back. And so anyways, the second day, a group from a church in Raleigh came. They had 20 people. And so Kinsey had the boys and I joined those 20 people. And we went to Miss Doris Moody's house. And she was a sweet old lady who had basically lost her home. And when we went into that home, our job was to basically gut the entire house. First, we had to take out all that was left, the belongings that were in there. We And we put a pile of all her things out on her front yard. And it was huge and massive. Um, first, you know, junk, papers, clothes, everything was destroyed. That came out. Then we took out the floors. We took out the drywall we took out you know we were my sons were kind of having a little fun with a sledgehammer because they were pounding on the tile in the bathroom that had to come out basically when you walked in this house when we first saw it it was mold from the bottom of the floor up about halfway up her wall and by the time we left this team was awesome they worked so hard um, for throughout most of the day and by the time we left that whole house was gutted. There were no walls and um, the flooring, not the subfloor, but the flooring was all removed. So all the cabinets in the kitchen was removed. The appliances were removed, everything. It was amazing what can be done. But, you know, it's it was a shock of reality, I think, for my boys. I think in the long run, it'll be really good for them. But the reason I'm telling you about this is just because... I was so wrong about what I thought was going on um, 
in the aftermath of Hurricane Florence. I thought I would get in the way. I thought they really didn't need my help. But I'm telling you, they have to turn down work orders now. Um, Kinsey said they had over two, I believe the number was over 250 work orders of things that people needed help with in their houses. Um, One guy, Mr. Charlie Bryant, he impressed on my heart because we went out just to do with a fog machine in his attic and his crawl space on that first day, but he, his floor was mushy. I was actually afraid I had to get on a ladder and he had one arm missing, by the way, he was missing his right arm because he had been in an auto accident. Um, I think it was either 2007 or 2008 anyways. So and he was a carpenter before that. So this is a good man. He's fallen. He's had a rough 10 years. The last 10 years have been pretty huff, tough for him. So he, um, like I said, he lost his arm. I was getting on the ladder. I put the ladder on, in the kitchen on the floor to get up to the attic to put the fogger up there. And I was nervous that that ladder would go through the floor. Now, here's the interesting thing. I always thought, and again, this is just my misunderstanding. I always thought FEMA helped with things like that. But to be clear, FEMA helps in emergency situations. But um, a lot of the time that the help that they give is in the form of a loan to be paid back. And they do not help with, I mean, they help with survival stuff. Like they're on the scene quickly and they make sure people are fed and they make sure, um, you know, people have in some situations temporary housing set up. But for the most part, you know, people's houses, if they don't have flood insurance, and a lot of them didn't, their houses are ruined and they have no way to pay for the repairs. FEMA is not helping people pay with pay for repairs on their house. Um, There's a lot of money flooding into these areas for disaster relief. I don't understand where that money's going. I'm sure it's going to get worked out. I hope that it helps pay people like Charlie Bryant to fix his floor because that's an expense that he doesn't have the funds for. Um, And just my heart goes out to him and I really, really hope that he gets that help. But Anyways, I'm pleading to you that if you can assemble a team of people and you're in the area of either Florida, um, those who were just hit by Hurricane Michael, or those throughout um, North Carolina, South Carolina, everyone that was hit by Florence, if you know somewhere that you can go, go on to um, the Baptist on Mission. That website is www.baptists.com onmission.org okay and that will you'll put in your I think your zip code I don't remember exactly how it works but it'll help you figure out what site um, you'd be working with and it will give you the address and the contact information now if you want to work if you're able to work with Kinsey Barrow is his name and he was awesome and he was in Elizabethtown if you're near there I will give you his site phone number is 910-874- 1084. That was a wonderful experience. He's a wonderful man. Um, and we so, we got much more out of the work that we did than what we gave. So, um, it's always better to give than receive. And, um, if, if you're, like I said, if you're able to formulate a team, ideally teams are anywhere from probably 10 people is a good size team. 
and to, and expect to be there maybe for a one overnight. They do provide um, food and lodging and lodging. It was kind of fun actually. We slept in a church, and we were the only ones there that first night. So we there was a gymnasium downstairs, and my son Sam thought it was so cool because he got to at night when nobody was in the building but us. He got to go down in the gymnasium, turn the lights on, and shoot hoops. You know by himself. And he thought that was kind of cool. Um, and there was an air hockey table in our room. I don't know. It was just an interesting experience. They did have showers provided. Um, but we had to bring our own cot or air mattress, um, towels, things like that. But anyways, it was an interesting experience. I encourage you if you're able to, to go help out. Um, they definitely do need the help. Anyways, that's it for today. I hope you all have a great day and I will talk to you soon.